Okay, so I'm going to jump right into it. So Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. I thought you had one. It got taken. Oh, okay. So I must talk to another one. Okay. <laughs> so where was I? Oh, we're going to review in sincerity and truth a little bit. So on your study guide, uh, when God created man, God endowed Adam with all the essentials of personality. To know God and enjoy being in fellowship with God, Adam was endowed with intellect, emotions, volition, which is just a fancy word to say free will. Okay, Uh, God made uh, Adam a personality specifically designed in this way so that man would worship God, would enjoy fellowship with God, would be able to commune with God, his creator. Uh, God had made Adam a, a living soul. Okay, so on your study guide, this fellowship was disrupted, but not entirely destroyed with the introduction of sin. And we all know the story. Adam and Eve, they took of that tree that they shouldn't have, and so they were expelled from the garden. Now, man could still worship God as his creator, but that intimacy... Uh, that joy of daily, a daily fellowship with God had been seriously spoiled, seriously marred. It wasn't like it was. So on your study guide, man could no longer enjoy being in the very presence of his creator. Yet graciously, instead of Adam dying physically at that moment that he sinned, instead of die, uh, physically is your word, uh, God made provision for Adam by a covering. Uh, covering the cost in innocent, its life to preserve the life of Adam. And it would be this covering due to the death of an innocent that God had provided for Adam by which man would now approach God in worship and, and, and communion with God. And so this means of worship and, and communion with God was then passed from Adam down to his sons. So on your study guide, the sacrifices then offered by Abel, and those who like Abel began to call upon the name of the name of God, Genesis 4:26, were a perpetual reminder to this provision of the innocent for the guilty. And I showed you a little picture there of of Abel offering a lamb. That was a perpetual perpetual reminder of this provision of the innocent for the guilty. Sinful man would now worship and communion with God via the death of an innocent for the for man's sin and propitiate man's guilt. And that's where we're headed. The word propitiate. The word propitiate means provide a covering. As we see here in 1 John 2, verse 2, it says, And he is the propitiation for our sins. Okay? Jesus Christ is our propitiation. Now, in time, man perverted this means of worship and communion with God. 
as first seen by Cain's offering, uh, not in compliance to God's will, but according to man's will. And for the most part, this is what we see in the world today in regards to worship and communion with God. It's not in compliance with God's will. It's what man wants to do. It's how man wants to worship God. It's how man wants to commune with God. Uh, Today what we see is worship and communion with God is in accordance to how man believes it should be done rather than how God has revealed for it to be done in his word. Uh, They go contrary to God's light. And therefore they are, they are in darkness. They are in darkness. You remember the incident, uh, where Jesus was talking to the woman by the well? Uh, Jesus had taught this Samaritan woman by the well about worship. The worship that God looks for. In John chapter 4 verses 22 through 24, Jesus said to the woman, Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And that's true because Jesus Christ, he was Jewish. Right? But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Not according to man's way, but according to God's way. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So those who seek to worship and fellowship with God must do as God has given provision. Right? As the way God has established it. And it's this provision that God has given to us in his son Jesus Christ that we're going to spend the next six years in studying in these first two verses of chapter 2. <laughs> so please bear with me and I want to review a little bit of what we've already covered because it's important to understand that verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 is in context with what we just got done studying starting in 1 John 1 6 all the way to verse 10 Sadly, a lot of people separate the two. Just because they, just because you see a chapter division in your Bible doesn't necessarily mean that a new topic or subject or a new context is being started. So you gotta pay attention to what you're reading. And as we look at the first, these previous five verses, the basic element in our fellowship with the Father and with His Son, is a sincere willingness on our part when exposed to the light of God's word to deal honestly with that which God reveals about us. That's, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? If you want a fellowship with God, then you need to walk in agreement with God. How do you walk in agreement with God? According to God's word. According to God's word. According to the light of his word. Unlike our father Adam, who tried to hide from God, how well did that work for him? It didn't. He tried to cover himself with fig leaves. Have you ever touched fig leaves off a tree? I don't think I'd want to be where... We had a fig tree outside of our house in Greece. Those are not comfortable leaves to wear. 
He tried to push the blame on another. Who did he blame? Well, he said, that woman you gave me. So who did he really blame? Was it the woman? It was God. It was God. So we need to confess our sin, trusting in the cleansing of Christ's blood and the Father's faithfulness to forgive. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So to walk with God, you have to walk in accordance or in compliance to his word. You've got to be in the light of his word. That's what, that's what it means to be walking with God. When you walk contrary to the light of God's word, then you're walking in darkness. Yeah, you've stepped out of the light. You've stepped out of the, the truth. So on your study guide, uh, Matt, do you want a study guide? There's right down here. So to walk in the light of God's word involves personal sincerity. Personal sincerity. An honest judgment about ourselves. Taking personal accountability for that which risks continuous fellowship with God. Uh, don't, Don't play games. Be real. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul writes, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. A reprobate is one who simply refuses to abide in God's light and chooses their own way over God's way. That's, that's a reprobate. I'm going to do what I want to do. The way I, the way I feel doing it. You know, there's a commercial on television. I don't know if you guys have seen it. But there's a commercial on television and it shows a person holding a mask in front of their face. I think it's for an antidepressant. Yeah. So they're showing, they're holding this mask in front of their face and this mask has a, you know, it's a smiley face. But what is that mask hiding? What's really going on, right? What's really going on with that person? They present this smiley face to their friends and family, but inside, they're experiencing something different. So on your study guide, churches are replete with Christians masquerading to being one thing when in reality are another thing. We have a lot of mask wearers in church. I've worn a few myself. I've worn a few myself. M-A-S-Q-U-E-R-A-D-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. So when exposed to God's word, when the light begins to shine on them, instead of confessing and being real before God, what do they do? They hold that mask even higher. They hold that mask even higher. They attempt to hide... <laughs> from others what's really going on but they're also trying to hide from you know who aren't they yeah that didn't work for Adam and Eve what makes you think it's going to work for me or you it's not it's not now the light of God's word will reveal this stuff to you not to condemn you not to condemn you but rather to correct this so that the we that John is writing to may know the full joy of fellowship with the Father and with His Son. God desires to have fellowship with His kids. 
That's why that light is given to us. So that we can know the full joy of that fellowship. So on your study guide, the Father seeks those who are sincere and honest and of a contrite heart that remains open to his light to have fellowship with. That's why I have that little heart with a door that's open. Don't close your heart to God. In Revelations chapter 3, at the end of uh, talking about the Laodicean church, what is the image that we see of Jesus Christ? What is he doing? He's knocking on a closed door. The church has closed the door on Jesus. Don't do that. Don't do that. Contrite simply means soft and easily crushed versus being hard and unfeeling toward God's word. In other words, don't harden your heart. Keep your heart tender. Keep your heart soft. Now, does that mean that I will always walk in agreement with God? No. No. I mean, I may have a right heart, I may have a tender heart, but does that guarantee that I'm always going to be right with God? No, it's not. Because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in life. A lot of stuff that goes on in life. David was a man after God's own heart. Was he a perfect man? No, he wasn't. But what made, one of the things that made David a man after God's own heart, and that would be a good study, a study of the life of David. I might consider that. Whenever, whenever, well, like when Nathaniel came to him and they told him about the, the story of the lamb and so, when he, when, when Nathaniel pointed the finger and said, thou art the man, what did David do? Did he lop off Nathaniel's head? No. <laughs> He had a contrite heart. He says, oh, you're right. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. He was tender towards God. It's the hardness of the heart that leads to trouble. It's the hardness of the heart that leads to trouble. So on your study guide, a great danger that many face today in this Laodicean church age is to put their faith on autopilot. And cruise through this life without truly coming to know the God that gave them life. That's why I have that little picture of that blow-up character. I think that's from that movie, Airplane. That was a funny scene. So a path to joy and fellowship with God is a path of honest self-examination. Let the Word of God examine your heart. Allow it to do that. Uh, sincerity, be sincere, be honest when that light exposes whatever it is it exposes. And sometimes it exposes good things. Not always bad things. I don't mean to harp on the, on the sin issue, but uh, in the Laodicean church period, you know, they think they're okay when they're not. And that spirit is there. We gotta be very careful about that spirit. And once, once we are exposed, there also has to be a willingness to obey what God, what God's word reveals. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor gives you a prescription for your medicine, a prescription for your ailment. 
But if you don't go to wherever you go to get your prescription fill, what good does that medicine do you? You've got to take your medicine to get better. So when God reveals something about you in your, in your heart, take the medicine and obey. I mean, in the Bible, we're always exhorted to be obedient. And we know that sometimes we find ourselves contrary to God's commands. Um, let me let you in on a little secret. And this may be a shock to some of you. Living the Christian life is not always easy. Did I hear a gasp? It is, it is it. Living the Christian life is not always easy. Living the Christian life on the job site, at school, in your neighborhood, in your own family. It's not easy. It's not easy. Hmm, I think our Lord described it like carrying a cross. And it is. Sometimes it's like carrying a cross. You see, present-day Christianity, for some reason, is ignoring that or pushing that aside. That's not popular because we're supposed to be happy, 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 happy if you're a Christian. Well, yeah, you could be joy-filled, but you're still carrying a cross. So when we find ourselves contrary to God's Word, instead of hardening our hearts against God's Word... As some do, refusing to comply, confess it. Because you know what? We've got a promise. He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us. And what else? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Man, if you, if you get a hold of that, you're light years ahead of the majority of Christianity today. If we truly desire to fellowship with God and, and, and experience this abundant life given to us, we've got to learn to die to self under the sun and live unto God. You know, unfortunately, so many of God's people uh, desire to be in the spotlight. They want the praise for men. How about standing in the light of God and receiving praise from God? John 12:42 Nevertheless among the chief rulers also many believed on him but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God You know sometimes standing in the light may require you to stand alone in that light And that can be very unpopular that can be very uncomfortable But that's the best way to go. Now, contrary to these men, we read of Jesus in John 8, 29. And he that sent me is is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. That's who we are to model our life after. That's how Jesus lived out his life. Remember Amos 3, 3? He was always in agreement with his Father. Always in agreement with his father. And that proved to be the joy of our Lord, to be in agreement, to, to, to always do those things that please God. First John 2 6, what does it say there? He that saith he abided in, abideth in him ought, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 
That's our standard. That's what we're shooting for. That's what we're shooting for. Now, the Lord, he never did sin, right? He always did that which was right. He always did that which was pleasing to the Father. But the reality about us is that, you know, on occasion we do sin. On occasion we do something or say something that is not pleasing to the Father. And what John is saying and what I'm trying to say is don't remain in that sin. You know, don't minimize your sin. Don't uh, deny it. Don't uh, poo-poo it away. Face it honestly. Is it going to hurt? Well, yeah. But you know what? Sometimes the surgeon has to inflict a wound to bring about healing, doesn't he? Sometimes he has to inflict a wound to bring about healing. And the same thing with God's Word. Sometimes he's got to inflict a wound to promote healing. Let him do his perfect work. Let him do his perfect work. So being in fellowship with God, we have to seek to be in agreement with what he has revealed in his Word. Not what some fella down in Texas tells you how to live your best life now no you go to God's word you go to God's word and there are times that God's word will reveal something about our character or about our behavior that we may not necessarily like to have exposed but hey that's for our good remember what Romans 8 28 says He's all, he's always working for our good, folks. Always. Always. First Thessalonians 4.1 says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. You want to abound in something? Abound in pleasing the Lord. Abound in pleasing the Lord. That's a good thing to abound to. And that's what Paul is exhorting these believers in Thessalonica to do. Now, our fellowship with God is enhanced through our willingness to obey His written word. Um, and as long as we maintain this attitude of obedience... Um, then God can work his perfect work. He can bring about that conforming. He can bring about that renewing. He can bring about that work of, of um, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's when we, like little brats, get obstinate, stomp our little feet, you know. Uh, God can work with that, <laughs> but not in a very pleasant way, because what does he do? As a good father, what does he do? He spanks our little bottoms. Now, I don't like to have my bottom spanked. This is what discipleship is all about. Not to force fit somebody into a program, but to introduce someone to a way of life. More specifically, his way of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? It's his way of life. And to be in agreement with God is a lot more than just mental assent. 
you know, we nod our heads. We say amen, right? That, that is, that's good. That's, that's where it starts. But we also need to take those necessary steps, right, to be in accordance to his truth. To make mention of another theme uh, in John's epistle, do you realize that our, our obedience to God is proof of our love for God? Have you ever stop and think about that? 1 Corinthians 8, 2 says, and if, if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of them. How? How, how, how can we know somebody loves God? How can we know? Just because, oh, I love God, we get up here and pray, well, I love you, Jesus. Well, then, gosh, he must love God. Right? How does a man show his love for God? So on your study guide, a slave obeys his master because he has to. (laughs) What happens to a slave if he doesn't obey his master? He gets whooped or some other worse thing. Do you guys ever see the movie Roots? You see what that guy did to the fellow who kept running away? Lopped off half of his foot. An employee obeys his boss because they have a family to provide for. Right? You need that paycheck. Bills to pay. A soldier obeys his officer because he is trained to do so. That's what boot camp is all about. So contrary to obedience motivated by a sense of duty or formality as legalists might teach it or from fear of reprisal as a sensitive and insecure, what is our motive in, in obeying God? What is our motive? Are we afraid he's going to whack us with a big stick? Is it because of the peer pressure of our pastors and our friends? What is our motive for, for obeying God? Show our love for him. Love. Love. Psalm 119, says, My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies for all my ways that before thee. I love thy testimonies. I love thy testimonies. Now, I've said this before. You know, we're, we're jealous over a lot of things. I mean, I know people who argue over um, Ford versus Chevy. I mean, they have heated arguments over Ford versus Chevy. If you're going to be jealous about anything, be jealous about your relationship with the Lord. You be jealous of your relationship with God. You fiercely protect and be ever vigilant. And you be suspicious of anyone who tries to get in there and disrupt your relationship with God, who tries to take away from you that fellowship with God. You be very suspicious of that person because they're up to no good. It's like some guy trying to weasel in and take your wife from you. Or some gal coming in and trying to weasel in and take your husband from you. Don't, don't let that happen. You know, in our current church age, you can flip on, what's the name of that radio station? Christian radio station. 
Oh, no, there's another one. K-Love. Thank you, K-Love. Now, you can get on K-Love, and you can hear about singing, you can hear people singing about loving God, love, love, oh, I love God, loving God. I don't know, some of the songs sound like a heart-sick teenager singing about God. You hear preachers preach about loving God. You know, you always hear about that. But when it comes to loving the unadulterated truth of God's Word in such a way that when it makes some kind of demand upon your personal rights, or I've got to change the way I think, or I've got to change the way I behave, what happens to that love? If it gets too personal, too costly, what happens to that love? Kinds of dissipates, doesn't it? Kind of dissipates. Amos 5.10, to quote Amos again, he says, They hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. That's today. A preacher that preaches righteousness, a preacher who preaches against sin, a preacher who stands upon, thus saith the Lord, who stands upon biblical principle rather than social ethics. You get a preacher like that, they're going to be targeted. You get a preacher who is speaking against these alternate lifestyles, these alphabet people, they're going to get targeted. You get a preacher who who preaches against taking the lives of unborn children, they're going to get targeted. You preach you you get a preacher who preaches that the church should be uh should be Christ-like and should live a righteous life, they're going to get targeted. They're going to get targeted. That's not popular. Even among the church, you'll even have Christians criticize Preachers of righteousness. So on your study guide. Even in the Old Testament, God didn't demand slavish obedience. Slavish is your word. Like some of your Gnostic preachers may tell you. There are some Gnostic preachers will tell you that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. No, he's not. It's the same God. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. See, that's the importance of dispensational teaching. And that's just a little sidebar. But rather, he wanted his people to obey him, and here's your blank, motivated by love for him. Like any good father desires from his children. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is a God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them, that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You want to prove your love to God? Obey him. That's how children honor their parents. They honor their parents by obeying him. You know what the best way to honor our Heavenly Father is? Obey him. Not just with the lips, but from the heart, seen in the actions. That's still the motive for us today in the church age, in this dispensation of grace. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. They're not. Guys, we don't have to go out and, 
Get an innocent lamb and burn it on an altar made of stones, not hewn by a hand of man. You know, we could we could pretty much wear whatever clothes we we don't have to worry about mixing wool and cotton. We don't have any dietary restrictions. That that was all for the Jew to separate the Jew from the rest of the Gentiles because they were a chosen people unto God. If you read through the New Testament, none of that applies to the church. So his his commandments are not grievous. Can you imagine living in the Old Testament, being a Jew, and all that that they had to do? And then you had the Pharisees who came along, and they piled on another 660-some rules on top of all that. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the Father's will. And by his obedience, he knew the joy of communion with the Father and the Father with the Son. John, 1 John 2, 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You want to get to know God? Keep his commandments. The aim of fellowship is to what? Know God. The aim of fellowship is to know God. And the prescribed way in knowing God is what? Walking in the light as he is in the light. That's pretty simple. Simple sounding. It's pretty easy. It is this knowing God that the immoral religious Gnostics claim to possess. And that's what I've been trying to warn you about. While they deny and distort the truth, they make the claims that they possess the truth. You always hear this, you know, from these types. The Jehovah Witnesses will tell you this. The Mormons will tell you this. All these other Seventh-day Adventists will all tell you this. They've got extra revelation from God. The Word of God is not enough. We've got something more that adds to it. That's a major red flag. That's a major red flag. That's exactly right. See, God provided for us a means to worship him and to commune with him. Just like he provided a means for Adam. Via a sacrifice of an innocent. Via a sacrifice of an innocent. God has provided for us all that we require to worship and maintain fellowship with him. To be in communion with him. And all of that focuses on guess who? Jesus Christ. It all focuses on Jesus Christ. The Gnostics will want to divert your attention away from him. They will present, they will talk about Jesus, but it won't be the Jesus of the Bible that they'll talk about. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of, all, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. By the grace of God, we have the perpetual cleansing of Christ's blood. That's what keeps us in God's presence. We're accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6. He's given us his written word to guide our path and light our way to help keep us clean. 
We've been given the sure promises of forgiveness and cleansing, not just uh, from not just some unrighteousness, but what? All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. He's even given us the anointing of His Spirit, the Spirit of truth. In our hearts, He now... This blows my mind. The God of the universe now dwells within me, this earthen vessel. And guess what? If you're a born-again believer of Jesus Christ, I'm going to pull a Joe Biden. Guess where he's at? He's in you too. He's in you too. And he's given us a faith. Not a weak faith, but an overcoming faith. A faith that overcomes the flesh, a faith that overcomes the world, and a faith that overcomes, yes, even the devil. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Is it going to get dark? You bet it is. But we have a brilliant future ahead of us. A brilliant future ahead of us. And one of these days, we're going to return with him, and he is going to be resplendent. And we're going to be right there with him. We're going to be right there with him. And all of this is secured for us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your focus. He is your life. He is everything. He is everything. Don't let anybody take him away from you. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. So, with that review, <laughs> 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He says, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And I'm going to camp out here for a while. Because this is, this is powerful stuff if you get a hold of it. This is powerful stuff. But notice the exhortation. That's your first blank. Exhortation. Sin not. That's the exhortation. He continues, like I said, within the context of 1 John 1, 5 through 10. You know, if you take, you start with verse 5 and you read all the way down to verse 2 of chapter 2, you're going to see it's all in the context. It fits. And as I've mentioned before, sin not is the ideal. Sin not is the ideal. To sin not is the best possible scenario, either in a practical reality or, or in thoughtful conception. That's the best possible scenario. That's, that's the ideal. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That's your attitude, your thoughts that affect the way of your behaving and, your, and the way you treat others. He says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 1. But notice it says, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. Um, who's responsible? 
I am. You see, that irritates... See, i got to be careful. I'm going to go ahead and say it. It irritates me sometimes when I hear my brothers and sisters in Christ, they'll say something along the lines of, well, you know... God will take care of it. It's like this attitude that they're going to sit on their hands and, and, and God's going to just miraculously throw some pixie dust on them and they're going to be all cleaned up and ready. No, that's, it doesn't work that way, folks. It don't work that way. We're responsible and we're going to be held accountable. You know, fellowship, a part of fellowship is what? Partnership. And we've got our own end to uphold in this partnership. We don't sit around our hands and expect God to stuff our mouths with food. The word perfecting here in 2 Corinthians 7.1 simply means being accomplished at something through the practice of that something. That's what it means. Being accomplished at something through the practice of something. You think uh, baseball players just one day picked up a bat and became a home run champion? No. Do you think Patrick Mahomes became the quarterback that he was just because he picked up a football one day? No. No. How does someone perfect holiness? Holiness simply means being separated on the God's will for God's purpose. Right? This is accomplished by walking in agreement to God's word. You've got to make the choice. Just like Daniel, who purposed in his heart. You've got to make the choice. So on your study guide, John is not preaching sinless perfection or loss of salvation for that matter. It's not what he's talking about. That's why I took some time going through 1 John 1, 6-10. It's because of this attitude towards personal sin that's in the church today that's causing so much issues in the church today. You know why the church today is not as effective as it could be? It's because the individual members and the pastors of the church don't have a biblical perception of their own personal sin. If we fail to understand what John is writing about as far as these things are concerned, we're going we're, we're gonna to miss the whole point of this epistle. These things that John mentions to is to my little children. Now, who is that? Is that talking to lost people? No, it's talking to you and I. You and I. This tells me that John is addressing those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So on your study guide, John had written about sin and the believer and how this impacts our fellowship with God. To make this say any more than this is doing injustice to the context of this passage. I've told you about my friend who said, hey, I'm covered in the blood, therefore I'm no longer accountable for my sin. He's not the only one that thinks that way. They may not verbalize it that way, but they sure live that way. They sure live that way. Others take take a different tack. They'll go to the other extreme. Remember, I'm talking about extremes. They'll go to the other extreme. No matter what I do, I'm going to sin, so why even bother? I might as well just give up. I'm born a loser. I'm always going to be a loser. Why even bother? 
First John 1 John 1.9 1 John 2, 1 through 2. It's on your study guide. John did not write about sin in the believer's life to give excuse for sinning or to encourage sinning by a misunderstanding of easy confession. Well, I've heard that before. Well, that verse is nothing more than easy confession. Well, then you don't understand what, what John's talking about here. I'm sorry. Or even to demoralize, is your next blank, the believer in not being able to meet some impossible standard of righteousness that is sometimes taught by legalists. John is not, he's not naive about the sin nature either, right? He's not saying sin not as though that's possible. He's not being naive here. He doesn't entertain some notion that God's people do no wrong because he knows God's people do wrong. He knows it. I had a pastor once tell me, and I think this was one of the, one of the best pieces of advice I'd ever gotten, especially at that time in my life. Anyway, I had this pastor once tell me that idealism is the bane of new believers. That idealism is the bane of new believers. He, he told me that they strive to attain some idealistic concept. You know, they get this idea in their head what a Christian is all about. And if they can't live up to this idealistic standard, what happens to them is that they, they crash and burn in disappointment. They crash and burn disappointment they, because they fail to meet some unrealistic, self-imposed standard. Now, when he said that to me in, in that time of my life, that's exactly where I was. I was trying to reach some idealistic standard that I've created for myself. And then he says to me, and I had a friend tell me this. He says, Jeff, in all your study, learn about God's grace. Learn about God's grace. Now, does this mean we shouldn't strive for excellence in our life? Yeah, we should. Proverbs 12:26 says, The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduces them. Proverbs 17.27 says, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Yeah, we should strive for excellence in our life. As long as we don't forget that there's only one that is truly excellent. Psalms 148.13 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Yeah, strive for excellence. One guy wrote, refuse to be average. Let your heart soar as high as it will. I'm in agreement with that, but let me add this. Just be sure that its trajectory is tracking towards the Lord according to his word and not some other thing or some personal ideal. Yeah, let's, let's, let's refuse to be average. Let's soar as high as we can, but make sure we're tracking toward Jesus. Tracking toward Jesus and not some brass ring on the merry-go-round. 
Anybody ever grab that brass ring? I tried, but I never could get a hold of it. I think they welded it in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the fishing rod. Yeah. And John's not writing about some mystic astral plane of consciousness either. He's not talking about some unattainable standard of sinless perfection. We talked about that. But your modern Gnostic religionists, that's what they're going to, that's what they're going to put, they're going to, like that, like what James pointed out, they're going to put that on the end of a string, and it's just always out of reach, always out of reach. So on your study guide. All of which John had written about concerning personal sin in the life of a believer is to exhort us about our attitude regarding personal sin and how an attitude of insincerity is detrimental in our fellowship with God. Exhort personal sin detrimental. He's exhorting us, hey, don't play the games that the Gnostics play. Be real with God. Be real with one another. Be real with one another. The language of the Gnostics, you know, they often change in order to fit the culture. And I think, uh, I don't know, is, is tolerance still a buzz, buzzword in our culture? Or have they replaced it with something else? They're always replacing these, these words. Yeah, bigotry, racism, they're all buzzwords. So tolerance. In the social scene, it's, it's the tolerant left's intolerance for dissent. In the political scene, it is a progressive conception of diversity that doesn't include diversity, diversity of thought. And in the religious scene, this is simply a word to masquerade in anything goes morality. In anything goes morality. Even though they might change the vernacular in order to fit their immorality, God's word remains the same. It's always true. It's always truth. You stick to God's word and you won't get lost in the weeds that these guys are lost in. John 3.19 These guys hate God's word. You know why they hate God's word? Because it exposes them, right? John 3.19, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. I watched YouTube videos of these people with different colored hair, and they get confronted with the truth. And almost to a person, they all get violent and angry. Even physically violent at times. Why is that? Because they're being exposed. Their lie is being exposed and they hate it. They hate it. But the believer who knows God and loves God's word, they hold to it as their authority. They're going to be open and willing to face whatever it is they need to face because they know that God's light is a healing light. It's a purifying light. It's a purifying light. And the wise Christian will avail themselves to this provision that God has given us. And again, all of this is centered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the innocent offered for the guilty. He is our focus in everything in life. Jesus Christ, the word of life, that eternal life, he is, the, he is the focus of our hope. He is the focus of our assurance. He is the focus of our relationship with the Father. He is the focus of our future. He is the focus of our strength. He's everything. Is he everything to you? Is he everything to you? And anything or anyone who distracts or retracts us from Jesus Christ, they are to be ignored or rebuked. They are to be ignored or rebuked. Because like Cain of old, they attempt to approach God and make claims upon God that they have no right to. They have no right to. Okay, I'm going to have to stop. So as we... (laughs) This is my introduction. (laughs) So as we progress through these next uh, two verses, we're going to see some remarkable truths concerning Jesus Christ that should give to us assurance in our relationship. What I want to talk on next, though, when we get back uh, next Sunday, is... um, a life lived contrary to the norms of our society. Okay? A life lived contrary to the norms of our society because you're going to discover this, folks. If you are serious in your relationship with God, you're going to be contrary to the way this culture, the society, politics, everything. So my question to you is this. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Are you willing, I mean, is, 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 are you so jealous of God's fellowship that are you willing and ready for that? Because I guarantee you, if you are serious about God, then there are going to be those who will challenge you on it. And I don't know about you guys, but I honestly believe that Christ is coming pretty quick. And what we are seeing now, I mean, I'm standing around with my mouth open with some of the stuff that I'm seeing now. But I don't think we've seen anything yet. In fact, I've got an example of that in this lesson. i got a big old picture in this on your study guide that I'm going to talk about. But we've got to be ready. And the only way we're going to be ready is if we are absolutely certain we're walking in the light. Amen? Okay. All right, so I'm going to stop there, and uh, then we'll pick it up next Sunday, Lord willing.